Ladies and gentlemen, do not touch that dial because you've just tuned into a show unlike any other, a show that offers you three things, hope, inspiration, and possibility. Get ready to experience growing bolder because it just might change your life. Whether you've been thinking about changing jobs, starting a hobby, taking an adventure, making a lifestyle change, or just stepping up to face personal or physical challenges over the next hour, you will find critical information and invaluable motivation. Yeah, in this program, it comes in the form of a 92-year-old former MGM screen siren and a recording artist who's still loving her life today. We'll also meet a woman who lives life by seeking out opportunities and then following them no matter where they take her. We'll meet a man who didn't truly start to live until he stopped hiding behind his hairpiece. And we'll visit with a big-time songwriter whose passion gave the world an everlasting love. Amazing people, amazing stories. It's time for Growing Bolder. Time for our surviving and thriving interview. You know, with the right kind of support and the right attitude, it is possible to not only survive life's greatest challenges, but to actually thrive in the aftermath. And you know, Bill, there are a few things in life that we've all been through, and unfortunately, we've all failed at, like staying in shape. It's why the weight loss industry is worth billions every year. With all the books, the products, and the supplements out there, you would think that we would all be in great condition. But our next guest says that every one of those books, every one of those products and supplements out there, well, you've wasted your money on them, and they are only there to distract you from the one thing that will really work. Yeah, you're going to love this guy because he says he's got the answer, and it's one that you might not like hearing. He gets hate mail. He's gotten death threats for what he's about to tell you, and now his new book hits even harder than before. The book is called Fat Loser, Mental Toughness Training for Dieters. Let's say hi to the all always fascinating Steve Siebold. How are you, Steve? Hey, good guy. Thanks for having me on. Matt, I would have thought you would have backed off from this after all the, the uproar that you caused in your, in your last trip around. Well, you know, we had a lot of people. Uh, of course, we're upset all over the world, but we also had a lot of people that, uh, that got the message all over and, uh, and got on board. So I decided to take another crack at it, see if we could make a difference. And, and Steve, is your book called Fat Loser or Fat Loser? Because that's a big difference. Well, so fat, fat loser, the idea is that fat loser is a good thing. It's a positive term. Fat loser, you lose fat. So it's a positive term. It's a play on words. It is a play on words, but it's an edgy play on words. And you knew when you did it, you were going to get a lot of people who wanted to misinterpret it, didn't you? Absolutely. And the reason is that not to be mean to people, just to wake people up, just to shock people out of this delusion that all these diets are going to they're, they're gonna make, it, make them thin and healthy, as you guys said in the intro and that there's some magic pill. There's not. We are the magic pill. It's our level of mental toughness that's going to help us do this or not help us do this. So what is it that gets so many people up in arms? Well, I think the idea that they're responsible, that it's their fault. It's our fault that we get fat. I mean, when I was 40 pounds overweight, I mean, no one helped me put the pizzas in my mouth. I was really good at doing it myself. myself. And we all are. We do this to ourselves, yet Society and doctors and the whole medical community, the whole weight loss community, obviously wants to give the people this idea that it's somehow not their fault, that it's not our fault that we're fat and we're eating ourselves to death, and it's a delusion, and it's something we shouldn't buy into. 
All right, we're talking to Steve Siebold. Steve, you've written some amazing books, not just about health, but you've also written about, about finances or wealth. And you believe the problem is the same either way, that we all have to figure out how to develop this mental toughness. What, what is mental toughness? Well, mental toughness is really about emotional control, the, the ability to, cri- to critically think, to get yourself to think critically uh, and not emotionally about anything, whether it's your finances, your weight, your health, whatever. And, uh, and it, I found it to be the most uh, you know, amazing thing I've ever studied. And Bill mentioned in the, in the intro, Steve, that you've actually gotten death threats, that uh, uh, you need extra security at times. Uh, you know, what, what more can you tell us about that? Is that just because of the title of your book? Is that because people don't want to hear that they're responsible and, and, and they feel as though you're eliminating their excuses? It is. It happened when I was on with Kathy Lee Gifford a couple of years ago on the Today Show the first time, and, and I said, if you're fat, it, she said, what's the premise of the book? And I said, the premise is, if you're fat, it's your fault. And boom, the, the hate mail, and then the, finally the death threats started coming in to the point where the, I was on uh, a few months ago on that show again with Kathy Lee, and, and they were joking about the death threats and said, hopefully, you know, they won't shoot us at the same time they shoot you and we're kidding around. But it's really a serious thing, not the death threat part, but the part that people are that delusional that they really believe it's someone else that's making them fat. It's not. It's us. We do it to ourselves. You know, it's really interesting you say that, Steve. Just a couple of weeks ago, I've got a friend whose father is – he's very large. And his fa- he told me that his father – we have, have the same uh, doctor. And he said, oh, well, we don't go to him anymore. I said, well, why not? He says, because he told my dad he was morbidly obese, and my dad stormed out of the office and found another doctor. Yeah, and that's what happens, and that's why the doc- and I've interviewed tons of doctors, I mean hundreds of doctors over the last five years about this, and that's exactly what they say behind closed doors when the camera's off. They say, look, I'm going to lose patience. I'm, in- I'm a small business person. I can't tell people they're fat or they're overweight because they can't handle it. No more than they tell you, you know, not to drink. You know, if you've ever been in the doctor's office, they say, how many times do you drink? They don't really push it usually, and they probably should be pushing it because there are physicians, but they are small business people, and they lose weight because, I mean, they lose patience because people can't handle the truth. You, you know, Steve, if all you were doing is, is poking us with a stick, you'd be a little more than a provocateur. Uh, but you, you, know, you get our attention, you do it in a very provocative way, but then you back it up. So I'm assuming a lot of people will not hear your message because you, 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 you make them upset. For those who step back and say, you know, the guy is right, it is my fault, what's next? What do you do to enable us to, to get beyond all the garbage that's out there and actually you know, create change in our lives? Well, first of all, I'd say congratulations on being tough enough to take it, because as you say, many people are not. And the first thing is make a decision you're going to do this no matter what. You're in control. This It's a linear process. In other words, if you stay on the diet, if you do the exercise, if you follow the program, you will lose the weight. There's no question. There's no variables in between. As long as you're healthy, as long as you're not one of the 1% that has a medical condition or maybe a psychological condition or disorder or eating disorder. For the rest of us, if we do the work, we'll, we'll lose the weight. So I think it's making a decision to do it and then developing the mental toughness to stick to that decision, which is why I'm giving this book away. I've given this book away tens of thousands of copies away all over the world. I'm not making any money on this book. I'm giving it away so people don't have an excuse not to get the mental toughness information they need to succeed. Uh, tell, tell us more about that. You're giving it away? I'm giving it away. I wrote it. I'm giving it away. If they, can go, to, if they go to Fat Loser, the ebook, fatloser.com, they can download the ebook absolutely for free. No catch, no strings, no nothing fatloser.com. Folks, do you hear Steve Seabold here? Do you hear this guy's passion? For whatever reason, I'm not sure why, Steve, this is something you care about tremendously. Where, where did this come from? Well, why is, is this weight thing you're calling? 
Well, it's, it's mental toughness training is really my calling. As you said, I, I've applied it to many different things, including you know the large training, the largest corporate sales teams, and the some of them in the in the world. And, and a lot of people accused me from the with the last book that I was out because the book did well and I sold a lot of copies, and they they were <laughs> accusing me of being a provocateur for the for profit. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'll give this one away. If, they, if, if that's if that's the if that's the issue, if I'm in the way, if the profit's in the way, then we'll just give the book away. And luckily, I can afford to do it. And Hopefully, people will take advantage of a lot of people have so far. And, you know, obviously, Steve, for those who hear your message, you know, taking the first step is tough. Maintaining you know, that initial effort is nearly impossible for, for, for many of us. But if we get to that point, if we get to what really works, and that is we change our lifestyle, you know, then we've got success. And, and you say, and, and, you know, rightly so, that if you're going to change your lifestyle, you've got to surround yourself with people who embody the lifestyle that you want to live. Absolutely, and I, and this is the thing I've gotten the most criticism on uh, throughout you know all the media I've done in the last four or five months is that I said stop hanging around fat people. <laughs> I've really gotten a lot of pushback on this, but you know, and I'm not saying you know you cut fat people out of your life because you know because for any reason that's ridiculous. I'm saying get exposure to fit people. Go to the gym and see how many fat people are at the gyms. It's all the fit people. It's all the people that care about their bodies, that are taking care of themselves, that have built a habit of fitness and health and all the good things, and get around what they say about, about eating. They're not making excuses. These people are making it happen, and if you get around them, you'll start making it happen. So, Steve, are you one of those guys that's, that stands there and watches people walk by and say, you need to change, you need to change, or do you have any personal experience? Do you know what it's like to be overweight and to have to change everything and fail a million times before you succeed? Yeah, I don't know if I failed a million times, but I certainly have failed plenty. Of, you know, enough times to get the get the concept of failing at it, looking yourself in the mirror and being kind of ashamed. Certainly, yeah, I'm not one of these. Uh, I'm not Tony Horton. I'm not you know in ridiculously great shape. I'm in good shape. I'm in very good shape, but I'm not in that stupid shape. You know, crazy shape like those the fitness guys. So I have to deal with it every day like everybody else, and it's a constant thing because I love all the junk food, all the crap. I'm not one of these guys that that, that loves the health food. I love the junk food as much as everybody out there. You know, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, and I was forty pounds overweight at one point, had to face up to that, and uh, yeah, so I know what it's like. It's not easy, but it is possible for those of us that make a decision to do it. You know, human nature, Steve, is that we all, you know, want that pill that everybody's advertising and none of which work. We want the one pill that we can take every other day and we're, you know, all of a sudden they're going to be, be ripped. Uh, but there is no pill in reality. But, 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 the, but there, is, there is a pill in a sense that we can, we can ingest in our mind, we can ingest in our attitude. And, and what is that pill? What do you want people to know that will get them moving forward here? Well, I agree. If there was such a pill, I'd be the first one to take it, the first one to buy it. It would almost, as long as I could afford it at any price. Uh, so I get that. If there was a magic button, I, you know, I'd push it. I think the magic, the, if there is a magic pill, the proverbial magic pill is mental toughness. It's our ability to discipline ourselves to do what we know serves our best interests and to stay away from things that don't. And I think that's all it is. Now, how do you stick to it? I think that, you know that's why I wrote the book. That, that there's techniques to do that that athletes use, that the Navy SEALs use, that. You know, the biggest corporate sales teams in the world, we've taught them for, for 30 years to use. So there's ways to do this. It's not easy, as you guys are saying. I agree, it's not easy, but it is simple if you'll follow some steps. I think that's the magic pill. That's my message of the book. And when it comes to mental toughness, what's the, what's the, what's the crux there? What is the takeaway from that? Well, I think the takeaway is, you know, one of the things I say in the book that got under people's skin, and, I, and of course I did it personally to grab people's attention, is stop being stupid. 
you know, stop being stupid. I mean, it's a directive that says, says, hey, when I when I eat the pizza and I'm on a diet, I'm effectively being stupid. I'm not saying I am stupid, but I'm acting stupid. And, and it's stupid because it doesn't serve my best interest. It's against my diet. I know that. I know better. I'm not a kid. I'm not stupid, but I'm acting stupid. And so we say stop being stupid. And that's one of the things that grabs people is, it's it's not politically correct, and in a politically correct society, society like America, boy, it really sticks out. Great stuff, Steve. Again, how do we how do we get this book? And you're you're not kidding; it's free, huh? It's it's free. Just download the ebook at fatloser.com and uh, start reading. It's an easy to read book, and you can start using it today. What did I tell you, folks? He's controversial. He's blunt, to the point, and he can help you change your life. Check out the book Fat Loser and all the rest of his stuff. We're thrilled once again to have a visit with Steve Siebold. Thanks, Steve. Up next, how a middle-aged man totally changed his life and his image just by using his phone and a laptop. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Growing Boulder here with Mark and Bill. Did you ever feel like you just don't fit in? Like nobody really understands you? Like life is going one way and you're going the other? Well, here's a story about a guy who just struggled even to communicate. You know, Bill, I think we all feel like that uh, at one time or another. This is a guy who actually shied away from people and instead turned to his computer and his smartphone. He'd take photos and then recreate them using an assortment of shapes and colors. And you really have to see these images because they are stunning. But the point of this story is this. These tools of technology ended up earning him respect, appreciation, and an entirely new way to express himself. What do you see when you look at this photo? A door, right? Well, to Ed Feldman, it's an explosion of shape and color and texture. Ed has always seen the world in a slightly different way. It's why for most of his life, he's felt just a bit out of place, unable to truly express himself until he discovered something that we all have right at our fingertips. Our phones and our computers. Ed found digital art. This one's like what I was just playing with. Those are the blades of grass. And I took those. You can see the details in these blades. They already had that purple vibrance in them. So it was already there. And I played with it and ended up with this. Now all the things that only he could see, he takes a picture with his phone and his inner vision does the rest. That was like a carousel horse. And then I modified it, pulling it back to my phone and back in the Photoshop. And I went from a single horse to um, a circle game. And saw the moon over Jeremiah's. 
And I thought, hmm, I should do something with that. And I ended up with this. But there's more to it. Just like in Ed's view, the closer you look, the more fascinating things become. You know, it's amazing. I'm looking at the computer, but my hand's going like this on the brush, as opposed to on the mouse, although I use the mouse, I need that fine tuning. And I also have this magic trackpad, which is kind of cool. I feel like Star Trekian. I go, and the computer goes like, wow. And it's kind of cool. You know? And then I have my tablet, I go like this. And initially it felt like an ice skating ring, and now I could go like real fine tuning and look at the screen and like the detail I could just do, and I'll brush through all the details. Thousands and thousands of shapes fill the images he creates, and layer after layer of textures fill those shapes. Together they reveal a hidden mosaic everywhere you look. The rest of us bluster past, Ed, and you stop and you look and you go, wow, there's art. It's everywhere. I mean, the butterflies, I mean, look at the detail. Then I made more butterfly into the butterfly. That was a train, look, the train passed, but I still had the train. And I still made it look like the motion. Palm trees, God, I love palm trees. And I take a lot of pictures of palm trees. I'm going to have a whole series of those because they're just fun. And, you know, you can be real colorful and it's beyond Floridian. It's, you can see the life coming through it. The colors he adds to these photos pale when compared to the color art has added to his life. He's become somebody. Friends and even strangers want to talk to him about it. It went so far that his co-workers even convinced him to do the unthinkable and give up his toupee, something he'd been hiding behind for decades. They said, take off the hairpiece. I said, oh, well, okay, I'll take off the hairpiece. It was a little uncomfortable at first. It was sort of like my security blanket. For about a month, I wore a hat. And I thought, okay, I'll just keep that. And I would take my clothes off and make sure the hat stayed on so they didn't see me, like, that I was without it. And finally, I grew more confident as my artwork started to replace my hairpiece. And they started to see me as me. And I was able to be more honest in, in talking to people because I wasn't sort of hiding behind a mask. It was then Ed realized something quite profound. All of the layers of intricate patterns and bold colors that made up his works had become a true reflection of what he feels inside. Ed has found true expression, and it's revitalized his life. I don't feel like I'm 60. I mean, really, I don't even feel like I'm 40. I'm probably still in my early 30s at that old. Um, and I'm not just saying that. I, 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 I don't feel like there's an age. I just feel like I am. He feels like he is because suddenly he sees art in everything, and he's convinced there's an artist inside us all. All this is a palette. You know, if we look at our morning and how we draw our day, you know, that's the palette. If we look at how we sit and how we arrange our desk, that's our art. It might not be on our canvas. It might be the way others see us. Maybe it's our whole room, how we decorate, the pictures we choose, you know, I'm drawing this stuff using programs that other people have created. I, I couldn't draw this if there weren't millions of people coming up with ideas of how to make technology work. And, you know, everyone's interrelated. So the way somebody dresses, 
arranges the room, the shades they put on, their glasses they pick out, how they arrange their hair. I mean, we're all artists. We just don't realize where the art begins. And the art begins just waking up, looking in the mirror and saying, Oi, <laughs> what do I do with that? You know, and that's art. And for Ed Feldman, being able to express himself through digital art has opened his eyes and his mind to a whole new level of appreciating life. There's just so much out there that I just want to touch. I want to, I want to be a part of it all. Boy, everybody has got a story, including Ed Feldman. His artwork, which he creates with his computer and his phone, have literally opened the world up to him, given him a chance to be the person that he always knew he was. Yeah, the images are really unusual and well worth taking a look at. And don't forget, you can check out the video portion of that story at growingbolder.com. Just search Ed Feldman. Time once again for a quick reminder that life is what you make it, that we all have the ability to find happiness and meaning in our daily lives. All it takes is noticing and then appreciating the little things. Here's our pal, Key Howard. Webster's Dictionary defines the word irony as an outcome of events contrary to what might have been expected. I found it ironic that one of our greatest American habits was accidentally developed by an adversary of the United States in the War of 1836. After the war and his defeat, this individual arrived in New York from Mexico with a hunk of chickle in his pocket, used in his country as a substitute for rubber. His American host, Thomas Adams, couldn't generate enough interest in the products, so the man returned to his country broke and disillusioned. Several years later, Adam remembered that the man would often pull out a piece of his chickle and chew on it. So using the sample that he'd carefully stored away, he mixed it with hot water, rolled it into little balls, and at a penny apiece, the chickle ball was selling very well. Based on the success, Mr. Adams began manufacturing Adams New York City gum. He made the earlier formula tastier by adding a little licorice flavor, and he called his product Blackjack. Now, today's gum has little resemblance to the chickle from the trees of Mexico. Modern gum is merely sweetened polyvinyl acetate, a synthetic product made by DuPont but Americans still chew over 10 million pounds of the stuff a year, all thanks to Mr. Tom Adams and his Mexican visitor, General Santa Ana, the scourge of the Alamo. How ironic. Till next time, this is Key Howard. Ain't life grand? She was signed by MGM to replace Lana Turner, and she's still gorgeous at the age of 92. We'll meet her next. This is Growing Bolder. Support for Growing Bolder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. 
Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. You make me feel so young. You make me feel so spring is sprung. The following interview with Monica Lewis was conducted shortly before her passing. Sultry, smoky, sexy, elegant. Oh my gosh. I got to tell you folks, this is Mark Middleton. The guy that is swooning over there is is Bill Schaefer. And I'm going to have to talk a little bit right now because honestly, I'm afraid I'm not going to get a question in once we start this interview. We have had our fair share of Hollywood starlets on this program. I have never seen Bill Schaefer quite like this. He is enamored uh, of our next guest. She was a star on the radio, in nightclubs, on albums, even on television, one of the most beautiful women ever to grace the silver screen. She performed with Bob Hope, Danny Thomas, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and that is just scratching the surface. In the movies, she was an MGM-style goddess, co-starring with Mickey Rooney, Victor Mature, and Red Skelton. You saw her in Airport and Earthquake commercials. Well, yeah, she did that, too. She was the voice of Miss Chiquita Bananas. And, you know, Bill, you I can see why you like her so oh, much. Oh, Mark, and even more than that, she's the subject of a new documentary, folks, called Show Folk, about veteran showbiz residents of the motion picture and television fund campus. She's proof, Mark, that a great voice and a vivacious spirit can survive the ages. She's also the author of her splendid autobiography called Hollywood Through My Eyes, The Lives and Loves of a Golden Age Siren. Let's say hi to the great Monica Lewis. How are you, Monica? I'm just great. How are you guys? You sound excited. <laughs> well, listen, we, we should start by singing to you because you just last week turned an elegant 92. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I really am. I, I, I have, uh, you know, normal aches and pains. Most people do. One day your back hurts a little or one thing or another, but it's not anything like really serious and uh, i'm in good shape and so far <laughs> so good I'm, I'm i'm blessed i'm lucky hey, what do you think uh, monica when you listen to what we just played uh, a cut from you make me feel so young i mean th- that still moves us does it move you yes it does that was a very good song i had a good time that was on the danny thomas show and uh, I, I played a school teacher and uh, was finding fault with Danny's raising of his child. And I talk, told him off and said they don't pay teachers enough. And he didn't know that I had worked my way through college by going, uh, by singing in the story. And, of course, then I fooled him and came out where he worked and I sang the song and knocked the people out. It was a fun period. And the look, the double take Danny Thomas does in that <laughs> clip is spectacular, isn't, isn't it? Isn't that funny? And it must seem like a blink of an eye ago that you started on the radio. You were like 17 years old. You were making a whopping $5 a week. And exactly. then all of a sudden you heard about this audition for, you know, there were going to be a million girls there with Benny Goodman, but you went anyway. Yep, I did. And all these girls were there, and... They called each one out by name, and they would let them sing maybe eight bars and say, thank you very much. And then when I got up, my knees were shaking. I was scared to death. And uh, Benny said, hey, kid, uh, can you come back tonight at 730? And he let me sing the whole song. Hmm. And I said, 
Yes, sir. <laughs> and I ran home, and we borrowed clothes, and they put my sister and my mother fixed my hair and makeup and all sorts of stuff. That, And I, I wore my mother's cape. I had a friend of my sister's dress on because I didn't have any costumes. And... Uh, I went back, and the whole family went back, and there I was. I was Benny Goodman's singer. <laughs> Monica, be honest with us now, if you will. Uh, yeah. As you look back, I mean, the things that have happened in your career, uh, MGM wanted you to replace Lana Turner. Uh, you know, you, you have caught the eye. Uh, you've had the talent to deliver it, but you've caught the eye of many important people in many big industries. What was it about you? What did you have that everybody wanted more of? I think that I had um, total dedication to being as good as I possibly could. I never thought I knew everything, and I was a natural sponge. I learned everything. I, 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 if I heard you talking and I thought you were brilliant, I hung around and listened. And if I didn't know what something meant, I found out what it meant. And I was always so involved in uh, making myself better at everything as I could and sharing my good luck with my family, who came first with me, and I made many friends that way because people were not I knew I was never out to get anyone. I was never out to outdo anybody. I was just there to do what I could and do the best I could and enjoy it and love it. And I came from a musical family, and that was what we were all about. And uh, you know, I, I was lucky with that too. We. We, what we didn't have in like money and stuff, we had in love and in, an appreciation of the arts. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people today even realize how big a star you were. There would be no Ed Sullivan show if it wasn't for Monica Lewis. You were the first guest star on it. Your brother is the one that that brought him to television. You, you, but you always sacrificed too. You sacrificed when your father was ill and you had to give up the nightclub stuff to go to MGM. You sacrificed when your husband Jennings Lang became sick and you had a wonderful marriage with him. What can we learn from you, Monica, about really understanding what priorities are all about? Well, I think it's basic. If you are solely interested in yourself, you are eventually a big bore. And the narcissism is not, you know, if I were choosing a best friend today, most of my friends are gone. Most of my friends have gone to, you know, to heaven or wherever you go. And uh, But if I were to choose, I would never f- find interest in somebody who was only interested in themselves. You must be interested in a cause. You must be interested in helping others. And if you're lucky enough to have a wonderful family, now most all of mine are gone again, except my children. But uh, you've got to be interested in wor- the world and what's happening, and how you can be helpful. And I went to Korea, I sang for 150,000 troops with with Danny Kaye, and I, I've always worked for uh, the troops, and I've always worked for children, and I've done whatever I could, you know, whether it be politics or, or just 
just being a friend. And we can learn more about you in the documentary Show Folk and her book, great book, called Hollywood Through My Eyes, The Lives and Loves of a Golden Age Siren. Find out more at MonicaLewis.com. What a great visit from a great star. Thanks, Monica. Coming up next, living life by leaping from one opportunity to another. Would it work for you? This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Hi, Mark Middleton. That guy over there is Bill Schaefer. Forgive my laryngitis, folks. You are listening to Growing Boulder. And, you know, you'll hear a lot on this program about following your dream, finding your purpose. You know, it truly is the most exciting and fulfilling way to live your life. But when we say that... You know, we understand that some people know exactly what we're talking about. They are the lucky ones. For the rest of us, you know, how do we find what we really like, what we're really passionate about? What should we try? Is it really realistic? And how do we know if we're any good at it? Well, our next guest has come up with a great way to start the process of figuring all of that out. Boy, it's a great topic, isn't it, Mark? She's a speaker, author of a dozen or so books, but I guess what she's mostly is is an adventure seeker. And like a lot of us, she's always got her eye out for an opportunity to reinvent herself. She's been a spokesperson for a number of different organizations, sort of an untrained genius at marketing, which we'll talk about. But first, what she and her husband are doing is pretty fascinating. Let's welcome Sylvana Clark. How are you, Sylvana? I'm just fine. I love that, the untrained genius. I'm going to get a sign and put that around my neck. I'm an untrained genius. Listen, I'd love that moniker myself, if you want to share it with me. Tell me, what are you and your husband doing? Well, we have kind of discovered a niche of being brand ambassadors, and that sounds uh, highfalutin, but it really isn't. We, we love to travel, and what better way than to get paid to travel? And there are uh, companies around the country that pay people to get in lots of times a branded vehicle. So you've seen the Wiener Meal, the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. Everybody's seen that. You've seen trucks with, you know, different logos on it. So companies hire us. We did a 29-city tour uh, when the tornadoes hit in the Midwest a few years ago, and we had branded vehicles. We had an RV with a trailer in the back that had all sorts of deodorant and sunscreen and hygiene articles. So we went to 29 cities. And people would come whose homes had been destroyed and who desperately needed the toothpaste and deodorant. And we would give those away for free, meet people, talk to them, sometimes just listen to them, and then went to the next location. So we were traveling, and yet you're doing something good, and you get paid for it. Wow, that's a win, win, and a win. How, how do you find these jobs? Uh, you know, for those who have never heard about this, I'm not trying to make competition for you, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but how do you discover companies that are looking for brand ambassadors? 
and you can just look up on the web. It, it's basically called experiential marketing. And just Google experiential marketing. You'll get all these companies. There's a magazine called Event Marketer, Event Marketer. And it has, like, they just had a listing of the top event marketing companies and all the awards they get. And so they'll say, uh, Tillabook Cheese just got an award. Uh, they got these... VW vans that are kind of the shape of a block of cheddar cheese, and they painted them the color of cheddar cheese, and they drove around the country, and people gave away free samples of Tillabook cheese from these vans that looked like a block of cheese. Talking with Sylvana Clark, and, you know, there's so many people out there, you know, maybe we're tired of the job that we were sort of forced to have since we were in our 20s or 30s. We want to reinvent ourselves, find something else to do. You've discovered a really interesting way to test the waters. Well, we have. And the one situation we had that was probably the dream job out of dream jobs, for 19 months, we actually traveled through 42 states with a large RV that was branded for a shoe charity. And we got to give away thousands and thousands of new shoes. We would go to um, homeless shelters. We went to schools for abused kids. We went to downtown missions in the, you know, the hardest part of different cities and got to give people these new shoes. And then on our days off, though, we would be at the Grand Canyon. We would be, you know, whatever tourist attraction. We were downtown Manhattan. And so, of course, we did all the Broadway shows. And then the next day we'd get in the RV and we would travel again to another location, do something worthwhile. And then on our day off, Take off and see the sights. Have you ever been a brand ambassador for a brand that you didn't like or one that you didn't grow to to respect? No, no, we haven't. In fact, um, we we had a chance to do it, uh, be brand ambassadors for a company, but it was number one. They needed someone a little younger, but it was going to different bars at night and uh, showing them samples of new whiskey, and we just thought, ah, that's that's really not for us. Number one, we go to bed by 9.30. We couldn't be up that late. <laughs> and, you know, just didn't feel comfortable promoting whiskey. But all the others have just been places. Uh, we did a year traveling around the country for a Christian uh, sponsorship agency, and we traveled and got people to sponsor a child over in Africa or the Philippines or one of the developing countries and help that child go to school. So, you know, of course, that's something you're is near and dear to your heart, so you enjoy what you're doing there. And then in your downtime, you're in all these different cities, from tiny little cities with 500 people in town to, like I said, one time we we had an event at Madison Square Garden and had to get this 34-foot RV down by Madison Square Garden. I called you an untrained genius because, you know, your life has not taken a path that anyone else has traveled before. In fact, you first came to national attention when without any marketing experience at all, you got roles in commercials and print ads and ad campaigns for your dog. I had a lifelong dream to trade my dog for TV commercials. I don't know why, but I always did. I, it was just something in me when I was a little girl. And so I got my dog. And yes, that's how I gained all my marketing experience. Wrote my first book on marketing just because there is, there at that time, there wasn't a book, How to Get Your Dog Famous. So I had to do all these crazy things. But yes, he was on billboards. He actually was cast in Harry and the Hendersons. And the day before his shoot, they canceled his scene because it was raining too hard in Washington. So I've been upset with Steven Spielberg ever since (laughs) that he didn't use my dog. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting over it. 
Well, you have obviously discovered a very unique and unusual niche for for you and your husband, you know, to do what you like to do and and also make a living. And uh, I'm pretty certain, though, your message has nothing to do with trying to encourage others to do the same thing. What is the takeaway from your story? What can we learn about life from what you have? You know, it sounds so trite to think outside of the box, but I think I talked to a lady the other day. She said she wanted to be a chef, and she'd gone to all these restaurants and wanted to be a chef and work in the restaurant. And I thought, where else can you go besides restaurants? The restaurants are turning you down. Well, she's now contacting people like Amazon that have these huge corporate uh, cafeterias. Nike has this beautiful facility where the staff, uh, you know, all the employees can go to eat. And she's now making some inroads, and she's going to start looking for jobs, not in restaurants, but working at some of these corporate centers as a chef because it was easier to get into. And so I think to find what you want to do, and then maybe that path directly isn't working, but what's a little side road you can take? that still helps you achieve your goals and what your, your dreams, what you want to do. I think your message, Sylvana, is that you're fearless. You know, you're, you, you look towards every adventure with optimism and, and courage and, and, and wonder. Is there a way that people can keep up with all of your adventures? Well, I have a website, which is basically sylvanaclark.com. And, yes, I think part of it is, is just being fearless because, again, you know, you've got basic safety restrictions. But uh, there were times when we did a tour one time in Camden, New Jersey, and no offense to Camden, but as I was driving in, the news report said, Camden, New Jersey has the highest homicide rate in the country this year. And I was in one of the tougher parts of Camden. Well, Sylvana, you know I was going to say, hang on to that because you just left us the perfect tea to get you back on and go from there. We're out of time, okay. but great, in, great inspiration on a life well-lived, Sylvana Clark. Up next, a songwriter who's taught us all how to have an everlasting love, how his incredible life story is far from over. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps, like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Growing Bolder, I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and our next guest is a songwriter. In fact, he's the guy who penned the song you're listening to now. His tunes have been covered by the Beatles, U2, Gloria Estefan, Pearl Jam, Dolly Parton, and Martina McBride, and I could go on and on and on. He's a member of the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. He's worked with Elvis, Chris Christopherson, John Denver, Jimmy Buffett. Mark, you got to stop me or I'll go on forever. Those are some amazing names, and his should be right oh, up here's, there. Here's my favorite part of the song. Oh. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. Everlasting love. 
You should see Schaefer dancing in the studio, folks. You know, after six decades in the music business, this guy is not only still at it, he is still writing, recording, he's even touring. His 12th album is out there and doing well. It's called Troubadour Heart, and that's exactly what he has, a troubadour's heart, and he is here to tell us all about it. Let's welcome Buzz Kaysen. Hey, Buzz, how are you? Hey, Mark and Bill. Hey, uh, doing great, man. Great great to be here. Man, we love your work, but what we really love is that attitude, that great-to-be-here attitude. I mean, here's a guy in his 70s, still recording, still releasing new albums, still touring. Obviously, Buzz, you love what you do. I, I sure do. I, uh, I'm a little tired after all these decades. No, <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm, I'm glad to, to to be doing what I love, that's for sure. And, you know, we we dropped a lot of names in that intro, you know, almost a who's who in the music business. Is there any one artist that you've worked with or who has covered your songs that that, that you're most attracted to, that you most respect? Well, uh, I'd have to say, uh, guys, that uh, my uh, my old boss from the time I was a teenager, I worked in her band, was Brenda Lee. Hmm. And uh, many of your listeners will remember her from I'm Sorry, Sweet Nothings, I Want to Be Wanted. She had a string of hits back in the early 60s. And I was fortunate enough to work in the band called The Casuals that backed her up. And I had the highest respect for her. just had lunch with her the other day, and she's still going strong, too. And, uh, you know, the folks like her and getting to know uh, great songwriter friends like uh, Guy Clark, Christopherson, John Prine, uh, Billy Swan. Uh, I've just been blessed to be with uh, my paths across so many great entertainers and uh, and songwriters that uh, it's really been a great, great fun ride. You know, Buzz, you were at the right place at the right time. You happened to casually mention the Casuals, one of Nashville's most important groups. Yeah, we were considered Nashville's first rock and roll band. Back we were formed in 56 mm-hmm. uh, on a television show uh, called Saturday Showcase by the uh, well-known disc jockey Noel Ball, who was also a record producer, and actually the guy that produced the first version of Soldier of Love on Arthur Alexander. And is it fair to say, I mean, you've written so many songs, and the one that we heard off the top of this show, Everlasting Love, fair to say that, that that's your biggest hit? And if so, do you know when you're writing a song like that that it's going to have legs, that we'll still be listening to it and enjoying it decades later? Oh, I don't think you ever... Uh can can uh, realize that uh, and when you write one you 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 do get a special feeling uh, that song was kind of tacked on to the end of a session and actually we didn't spend about 20 minutes writing it because uh, uh, mac already had the mac gaten my co-writer already had the melody pretty much down and uh, i just put the lyrics to it mostly but uh, you, you never expect one to have the life that that one's had and uh by the way, it's in the film trailer of uh, Words and Pictures, a first-run motion picture that's coming out in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's kind of unusual. Uh, as far as I can tell from the publisher, it's in the trailer, but it isn't in the movie. <laughs> but it's used uh, prominently in the uh, trailer, you know, on television and everything, to, I guess, to kind of get folks' attention. To, to watch the trailer. You know, we're talking to Buzz Kaysen, songwriter. Buzz, you are a man of all media. You have a, an autobiography out as well called Everlasting Love. What what was your, what what point did you hope to get across in your book? Well, originally, the book was uh, originally written and released in 2004 by Hal Leonard Publishers and uh, under the name of uh, Living the Rock and Roll Dream, uh, The Adventures of Buzz Kaysen. And then uh, the, the premiere 
publishers released it in a, in a softback version in 2012. But I just wanted, uh, I, everybody kept saying, man, you ought to write a book, you ought to write a book. So finally I sat down and started working on it, you know, and just really had fun doing it. And I was always kind of a fan, kind of German people we'd play with. Hey, can we get a picture with you? So I had a slew of pictures uh, that uh, that are in the book, and uh, that that really made it fun, too. Yeah, what an amazing historical reference you are for for the, you know the world of of music in general. I mean, you had a front row seat to so much. Now, I don't know whether this is a joke or not, but rumor has it that you were the voice of Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks. Is that true? Well, back in in sixty two to sixty four, I worked at Liberty Records in California with uh, great producer Snuff Garrett, and uh, uh, the Chipmunks had had a hit. Of course, the the Christmas song was huge and. When the Beatles came uh, to, into being, uh, Ross Bagdasarian, who is David Seville, wanted to do a Beatles chipmunk album. So I got to sing on that, and we recorded it in one night. Well, we spent all night from 6 at night till 6 in the morning, and I was uh, got the part of Alvin, so it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then later on, we did the... Um, when I moved back to Nashville in the early 80s, we did uh, the Urban Chipmunk album. And once again, I got to play Elvin. Uh-huh. And that was for David Seville Jr., who had inherited the uh, that uh, producership from his father. You were Alvin. You hung out and sang with Elvis. You helped discover Jimmy Buffett. What an amazing career. What what What's the takeaway, Buzz? What can we learn from what you've been through? Well, I don't know. I guess just persistence kind of hanging in there. And um, I don't know. I just uh, I've just been blessed to be around the, the right folks at the right time. I guess you know it's just timing. It's hard to hard to predict these things. I think just making yourself uh, visible, just being you know loving what you do, and being able to um, work with folks. Uh, I would you know give advice that that you've got to uh, you have to have you have to love people and be able to work with them, you know, and, and instead of against them, you know, because a lot of times, you know, I learned in my session career and working uh, working for people, you you have to sometimes perform things or do things that you don't think are, 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 are that's not the way you would do it if you were the producer, you know. But you have to learn to work with folks and just uh, kind of accept the way they are and their thinking and. Uh, but the main thing is you learn from these other people. Gosh, I learned so much from my original partner, Bobby Russell, who wrote Honey and Little Green Apples, and guys like Matt Gaden and uh, Christopherson and other folks that I was around a lot, just, you know, what it was like to craft a song. Not that I could pick up and, and clone what they were doing or be as good as them, but the fact that uh, what I learned was they would not accept the uh, second best, because we all write junky songs. You know, I've got thousands of songs that'll never be heard, you know, and they're just not good enough, you know. But being able to discern what is, uh, you know, what we should put down, hey, this is the one, let's go with, you know. Buzz, you're a great man. The album's called Troubadour Heart. Check them out at buzzcason.com.
Well, sadly, that is it for now. Already? Yeah, it is. But remember, Growing Boulder does not stop here. It never stops, folks. You'll find hundreds more interviews just like the ones you've heard today with people who decided to make a change, and then you can witness the amazing results for yourself that came out of that. Ordinary people trying things they never thought possible. Celebrities taking risks they never imagined. Regular folks taking control of their health, finances, and their lives, all at growingbolder.com. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming rope, using ideas as my map. Said I, proud me, heated brow. Ah, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Half right prejudice leap before. Rip down all hate I scream. Lies that life is black and white. Spoke from my skull, I dream. Musketeers, foundation deep somehow. Oh, but I was so much older then.